All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts, his acts being seven ages. This is a quote from Shakespeare's play As You Like It, and you're listening to As We Like It, a radio series that looks at each of these seven ages. In this programme, we look at the third stage, Lover. And then the lover, sighing like a furnace with a woeful ballad made to his mistress's eyebrow. I quote this to Ashling Kelly and Mary Gray, who work in digital marketing with the Griffin Hotel Group, a job that brings them into contact with many lovers on the road to marriage. Sighing like a furnace and singing a woeful ballad. You do have ballad. your couples that sigh like furnace. <laughs> Sheer frustration yeah. sometimes. <laughs> I do think Shakespeare's time, that's maybe what love was. Love definitely comes in different um, shapes and sizes. So someone sighing like that, maybe that's their type of love. You know, everybody's different. (laughs) Everybody is different and everybody has a different experience of love. So is it possible to define what love is? I put this question to a man who has a deep interest in love. Dr. Noel Kavna, lecturer in philosophy at Carlow College. He believes that love can only be defined within the context of the times that we live in. You must understand any concept or idea, human concept or idea, to be enmeshed in the times that it was living. It's a reflection of or a reaction to what's going on. Mm -hmm. And our ideas of love are no different in that, in that we will have very, very different ideas of love at different stages of our, our evolution or different stages of society. And it fits what we have at the time. The history of the philosophy of love is constantly caught up then in trying to analyse what is true love, what is proper love, what is authentic love and inauthentic love. And of course, that's been we, we've, we've had experience over the over the last few years of a, of a very, very fundamental shift in our own attitudes to love, because we went out a couple of years ago and in a referendum and said, yes, you know, same sex relationships are true love, Mm. our genuine love, our authentic love. We talked constantly about the sociology of that in terms of civil law and in terms of society. I liked to see that in a philosophical sense. We changed our mind about what true love was, authentic love was, proper love was, perhaps rejecting an idea from our shared Catholic past or Christian past. So we changed that notion of love all of the time. Um, There there was a 17th century philosopher uh, and social commentator, a guy called La La Rochefoucauld. La Rochefoucauld was brilliant because he, you know, he never wrote any treatise or, you know, because La Rochefoucauld was too busy you know, making love and drinking wine and, you know, and having fun. But he would write these little maxims, these little thought provokers. I think it's the 137th maxim. He says, if you had never, ever heard of love, would you have ever fallen in love? And that he, what he was provoking the idea was that, that love is sociological. Love is con- in some ways sociologically conditioned. We, we don't come to love neutrally. We come to love within the framework of what we understand love to be. The whispers in the morning What is love personally for you, Ashling? I think 
love is very different for everybody but I think for me it's um it comes down to loyalty and trustworthy like a loving relationship and just wanting you know to spend the rest of your life with that special person if you're lucky enough to find them and humor humor is a big thing I think you know you have to have a good sense of humor or the person maybe you fall in love with has to have a good sense of humor because you have to put up with them for the rest of your life as well do you know what I mean like that's that's a huge thing Yeah. yeah And for you, Mary, do you have any I think uh, love is, yeah, I suppose finding your best friend and wanting to spend the rest of your life with them, but also support. So to have a support system and someone that's always going to be there and you can be the best version of yourself when you're with that person. It's possible that because love is so undefinable that artists spend so much time trying to interpret it. But where exactly does our story of love come from? Noel blames the Greeks. Aristophanes says it is that real love, true love, proper love, comes from the fact that in the mists of time, we were, you know, in a time before time, we were hermaphrodite-like beings with four arms, four legs, two heads, and that we scuttled about the earth. But because we were strong, self-sufficient, arrogant, that we tried to storm the heavens and the Greek gods that Zeus sent Apollo down to cut us in half. And of course, we cut everyone in half. And therefore, Aristophanes says that's what true love is. True love is when you are still searching for your other half. And of course, where we get the idea of the, you know, we would say it colloquially, oh, I must consult the other half, is this idea. And of course, it's it's an enduring romantic image that there is one other unique person out there, you know, from Sleepless in Seattle to, you know, um, to, to Dracula, which is another great romantic tale. You can recount it in, in 101 different love stories. But the interesting thing about it is, Aristophanes also says that that's all that split apart thing, you know, re looking for our other half is always destined to failure. It's always destined to tragedy because the two split apart cannot become one again, you know, yeah. despite the Spice Girls lyric to become one. I mean, it's everywhere. I mean, all, all of this stuff is everywhere, you know, it, within within Western culture. So it's always destined to failure. The two cannot become one anymore. Which is a very interesting thing that that I've kind of noticed throughout my studies of the Western concept of love is that romantic concept of love is, is tragic. So if you begin to name all the great love stories, Romeo and Juliet, uh, um, Heathcliff and Cathy, and, and you can go on and on, Tristan and Isolde, Lancelot and Guinevere, they all end up in... In, in tears and we think that's dreadfully romantic that it ends up in tears it's a it's a strange phenomenon within the romantic tradition that true love must be tragic love you know you know we would console friends who have broken up well if it broke up it wasn't meant to be that's not your true love yeah. this is the practice round your true love will arrive you know the danger of course is and many people have fallen into the trap and we perhaps both of us know people that have just sat there and gone, oh, well, if love is going to happen, love will find me. So they don't go out to a social club. They don't go out. And, you know, then they're sitting there and they're, you know, kind of a little sadder in their 50s or the late 40s, 50s. And they're stressed out about the fact that they've never found love. But they've not gone actively out looking for the opportunity to meet someone because they believe that it would come to them. It's a profound idea within Western culture, this idea that love will find you. You don't find love. You can't create love. Love will find you. 
I chat with some of the older generation about their journey in finding love. He was one of the best. Somebody said to me one day, it's only the good go, God only takes good people and that is true where he's concerned. He was a wonderful singer and uh, he was great playing tricks on people. Good sense of humour then. A great sense of humour. And you hear him laughing all over the place. It was the fun of him, how funny he was. I liked him. That was the mm. attraction? That was the attraction, yes. Yeah. And were you courting for long? No, no not long enough. <laughs> I was too early. I got married at 21, which was too early. Mm. I always thought I should have waited and marry in my 20s. Did you? Yeah. Mm. Why did you think that? Well, I suppose I saw so many people who came after me and they went abroad and they, they had a better life. Yeah. I was with children, I had two children, plus the fact that I was a widow at, I was a widow at 28. Oh, so you, you had him for seven years? Yes. That's a pity, mm. isn't That's it? That's a pity, yeah. yes, because he was a lovely man. And what was your wedding like? We had ours in at the clubhouse, It was very nice. And your dress and everything? My dress, as you can see it over there, on the right, it was below on the knee and white, and it was Angli, what do you say, Angli Broad? Broad Angles. Broad Angles, I knew I had it wrong. <laughs> like lace, kind of? Like lace, yes. Yeah. And did you have flowers and bridesmaids? I didn't have an awful lot. At 21, I didn't have a great selection. I know we nearly parted before we got married. He... He told me he'd get me flowers in Coma. So I left it to him to get the flowers. He didn't. So I had no flowers. Did you give out? Well, I suppose it was your wedding day then and you didn't give out. And he's the sort of fellow you wouldn't give out to. And did you go on a honeymoon anywhere then? We did. We went to Cork. That was great <laughs> to go to Cork. <laughs> had you been to Cork before? No. Travelled very little. We only had the week. That was Mary who lives at Tenny Park Nursing Home. Monica also lives there and she contrasts weddings now two years ago. So big weddings now. Mm. You know, 100 and 120, you know, my son was at the other day. And then they had the, the ceremony in the garden. It must have been a civic ceremony, I don't know. And then they had something to eat. They got into a bus then and they went to Clonakilty for the big meal, as my mother said, the dejeuner, for sure. The next day, then, they had a barbecue. See, it was gorgeous. But nowadays, sure, I mean, if you go to a wedding, doesn't it be about two or three hundred? Doesn't it for your present? So you're really paying for your meal before you go out. You know, isn't it true? Yeah. They, they, they like to get the money now and say, well, you wouldn't blame them because you get about maybe three sets of iron boards and, you know, too many things and the one thing. So I let them buy whatever they want to out of them. If somebody was saying, there's a special girl now, she makes just does the makeup. And this girl wanted her makeup done. She's not getting married until July. She was sorry she couldn't take her on. She was booked up. Imagine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's July. 
Yeah. Just so the way the thing is gone. In your day, how long did it take you to arrange your wedding? Oh, for God's sake, no time at all, as far as I remember. You just went in and booked the hotel. And the mass was the same. I suppose a couple of months of burning. Now, I wouldn't be quite sure, but it was nothing like that, you know. Ladies and gentlemen, the most important... The wedding day is a huge event in the life of two lovers. And there's a big industry built around weddings these days. Couples have a lot of options to choose from, but still, there are a few core events that take place within the day. Mary Gray from the Griffin Group. So they usually get married, let's say, between one and two o'clock. Um, and then their guests after the church will come back to Hotel Kilkenny where they're, they're drinks reception. So they usually arrive about three and then the bride and groom will go get their photos taken with their bridal party and come back to the hotel approximately about four, half four. So they get an hour or so to enjoy with their guests and um, just enjoy a couple of drinks. And their meal generally starts about six o'clock. So they'll have their starter soup, their main course and their dessert their tea and coffee, their free-flowing wine, and now you have speeches and everything as well. So, you know, your half hour, I've never seen longer than an hour speeches. So um, that's that's good, I suppose, <laughs> <laughs> because I think people tend to, it's nice to have it after the dinner, you know, during the desserts when people are kind of winding down and it's that like time that you're kind of letting everything settle. But yeah, then the meal finishes up, let's say half eight, nine, and you're getting ready to boogie for the night. Next day events are really popular now as well. So whether that be a barbecue or a buffet or even just some finger food, live music. So it's really two, three day event now in Ireland. Getting married outside of Ireland is also becoming a popular choice with some couples. Karen MacDonald did just that when she married her partner Andy in Lanzarote at the end of 2018. It was a thing where we always kind of said someday or one day and... On my 40th birthday, I was in the sitting room and Andy came in with a card and it said um, to my wife and I opened the card and I went, oh, you're very funny. You know, I thought it was a joke or, you know, him trying to be funny or something. I don't know. And I opened it and he had asked me to marry him on the inside. And because we'd never really discussed it, we kind of had put it on the back burner. I am. I just instantly said yes. I knew straight away. So we were engaged for 17 months. Then we got married. So we had originally planned to have it in Kilkenny and it was going to be a big wedding. And then one, one evening we sat down and we just just wasn't feeling the whole process of what goes with it. So we had it booked and then we just said, no, we'll go away and we'll do it with smaller numbers and we'll make a holiday with our whole family and friends because it was about more so us and the kids, not just the two of us. We wanted to make it like a family thing. So we booked Lanzarote. And I would highly recommend it. We just we got a wedding planner involved and she she just took the ball and went running with it. And she really just gave us the best day. We didn't get married till half four. So we had a lot of time just to relax and have breakfast. And the guests had a lot of time, you know, to have welcome drinks and things. And then they they all went down to the ceremony area and it was out by the sea. And we had we had a lovely walk with the girls and my dad down to the sea, which was was just amazing. I wasn't that nervous or anxious or anything about it because it was just so, it was lovely. You know, it was really, really lovely. In ancient Irish times, couples could also avail of a range of choices as regards not just their wedding day, but the type of marriage they wanted. Here's Druid Emer Burke. Telltown in County Meath gets its name from Thaltew. And they had the Telltown marriages there. So this is a bit like the earlier precursors to Blind Date. You'd have a palisade and you have the young men on one side, the young women on the other, and holes, and they'd walk 
towards the palisade, put their hand through, whatever hand you got. You came around and you met them. And then you stay together for a year and a day. And uh, if it worked out during that year and day, then you got married. And if you didn't, the next year you stood back to back and walked away, no strings attached. So they're known as Telltown marriages. If you go back to the Brehan Laws, there were different kinds of marriage. There was a marriage for one night. So we didn't have all this um, associations with sin and all this kind of yeah. stuff. There were much freer attitudes. And women had far more rights. They had rights to property and rights to divorce. And I mean, a woman could divorce her husband if he failed to satisfy her sexual needs. So, and if he was abusive and all of that. So, uh, so there are different kinds I, I, off the top of my head, but there were different grades of marriage and all of them valid and common law. And so you had like the one for one night and then one where might there be sharing of property and one where there wasn't. The Celts at the spring equinox also recognised the dominance of the female in a love relationship through honouring the hair. This celebration has now morphed into the Christian tradition of Easter as marked by the Easter bunny. There isn't an Easter bunny, there's an Easter hare, actually. The hare is a representative of the goddess. You'll often see hares fighting, the march hares, they fight. It's not males fighting for dominance, it's the male and the female fighting. The female will only mate with her match. If she defeats him, she won't mate with him. She only mates with her equal. Which is always, I find, a very interesting example from, because so often we're presented with the domination of, say, the deer rut, and it's only the female's... Um, mate with the dominant but actually that's not the case they've observed them while the two top males are fighting the lesser males are sneaking in behind and mating with females The Druids honoured nature and through the cycles of nature they celebrated the instinctual parts of human life After the spring equinox comes Bialtana a festival where fire and sexual energy are intrinsically linked Bialtana is when there's a huge upsurge of uh, fertility in the land Everything is bursting into bloom. But also, weather got finer, so people came out and they had these Bialtana rites. This is way, way back now, where the constraints of marriage were lifted for Bialtana, so you could lie with anybody. It's also a time of cleansing, so you had the traditional Bialtana fires, and the big ones at Ishnok, for example, were two large fires, and the cattle would have been driven through them for to cleanse them. There are some stories where the embers from the Bialtana fire were taken, and brought back home. And this is days when people didn't have matches, so you had to mind your fire. It was a really serious thing. By the way, and Bridget is goddess of fire, but if a woman was smoothing the fire, just dampening it down at night, she would say a prayer to hold the spark. So you had to keep a fire going somehow. So um, at Bialton, there was this all fun, you know, the days are much, much brighter. People feel much better. They're healthier. Still not we're still not eating yet from the land. We still have to, we have to be hunting because um, we have such a short growing period in, in, in Ireland here. It's interesting, we couldn't live a vegetarian diet in Ireland in times past. But because our land doesn't produce vegetables or fruits, April, May, just in June it starts to. And our winter stocks would have been fairly decimated by that time. They were known as hungry months. But they hunted, so they would have had enough to eat, but couldn't be vegetarians. <laughs> to the people at this time in Bialtana. There might be a sense of gaiety about them, a sense of... Oh, absolute. Dances, partying, revelling. Yeah, and a huge, I suppose, celebration. If you look at the Wheel of the Year right across the Samhain. So this is around sexual vitality, energy, all is great. You know, the days are still getting longer um, and people really, really celebrating that. 
And you can see it in the bursting forth of the leaves and the trees and the flowers. Um, the fruits haven't come because remember the flowers come first. So for our ceremony here, we light two fires. A little mini vignette of what happens at Ishnok, but two fires and people walk through to bring in masculine and feminine energies. And when you bring those two energies together, be it on a physical thing, you can conceive. But if you bring those energies, and we all have them, but bring them in together in an integrated way, you can conceive things. Mm. And it's around balance. Balance. Someone once said, balance, my darling, is not letting anybody love you less than you love yourself. That presumes an idea of selfhood which can get confused in this modern digital age. It's, it's something I explore with my students, not within the philosophy of love. You know I mean, it is, it is allied to it. But in terms of the idea of selfhood, I would ask students, well, what is this idea of selfhood? It's very ethereal. I said, who are you? I said, is there a difference between you and your Instagram you or your, you know, Facebook you? Or are they different masks? The dilemma, I think, for modern society and for younger people is that they perhaps don't know anymore. You know, which is the real me? Well, they're all me and none of them are me. And I don't know which me I should be latching on to. I don't know which me is the one that's grounding me in the world. You and know? do you think that will impact on then love and how we approach love going forward when we don't know who we are? Yeah, but if who, we, you know what? Yeah. I mean, how do you know you are in love if you don't know who you are? And I don't say that from the position of, oh, the modern world is screwed now and young people don't know who they are. I'm a firm believer in that things shift and things change and nostalgia is no good. You know, uh, uh, I was reading... This is going to sound very grandiose. I was reading Ovid recently, an ancient Greek uh, writer. And Ovid was writing, I think, in somewhere like 500 BC, 600 BC. And he was giving out about the modern generation and how feckless. And he was basically describing the snowflake generation. Mm-hmm. But that was in 500 BC. So it's, nothing changes in some ways. So to, to nostalgia, to, to go back to a previous age or a previous value system mm-hmm. is, is wrong and worthless and, and useless, you know. I suppose one could, I mean, to, 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 to sound notes of warning for the modern world, I see as someone who, who deals with young adults all of the time that this new lack of a sense of self or this fluid sense of selves hasn't made anyone any happier. Um, in actual fact, it's probably made an awful lot of people an awful lot sadder and made an awful lot of young people sadder than they should be mm-hmm. at their age. Um, you know, I mean, it's again, it's OK for a 51 year old to be sad, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, I've, I've seen more days than I am going to see, mm-hmm. you know, and that genuinely has, you know, is cause for philosophical reflection and, and uh, as is my want anyway. But, the, you know, the truthfully, they're sadder than they should be. Mm. They're more anxious than they ever should be. Mm. Um, And perhaps that is about this sense of a lack of identity. I, I think there's a role for society to ask young people in a fairly coherent way, who are you and learn to love who you are. That's very difficult to articulate. In a, in a world in which we perhaps would say they can't stop loving themselves because they never stop fucking taking selfies of themselves. Mm-hmm. Yes, love changes, you know, in, and maybe 
our distress of a different generation is that love now as an idea that young people are buying into is just so vastly different from what we, not rightly or wrongly, but it's just vastly different that we don't have a hang on it anymore. We don't have a grasp on it anymore. But fundamentally, in a psychotherapeutic way, that you must at least try understand who you are in order for you to be able to ask someone to love you. So what are the younger generation at as regards to love? I chat with 22-year-old Linda Mooney to understand the current dating scene. Technology is a huge part of dating. There is apps out there that people normally engage in and there is this whole uh, online persona um, that people would use to um, engage with others. One of the biggest apps, I suppose, for dating would be um, an app called Tinder, which is an online profile which you create of yourself and you'd have pictures up and you'd have your age and where you went to school or whatever like that. And um, you can set up your preference to distance and what age of people you'd like to see of the opposite sex. And you swipe right if you like and you swipe left if you don't like. And then um, if you swipe right and you match, so both of you have swiped right for each other, they go into this chat um, so you can talk to each other if you want. Now, some people don't bother, but they will They will kind of go onto a, a separate column that you can chat to each other if you match. Um, it's very complicated to talk about when you're using it. It is very user-friendly. But the only problem with that is is people, they have a medium to talk through. So you don't know if they're actually sociable when you meet up or if this whole new world of catfishing, which some people might be unaware of, is that people create a fake profile pretend they look like something else or have this amazing life um, where they actually don't and this has been huge in America there's actually been TV programs about it and this has been only been available through online dating um, but also we would be quite still traditional you know there will be people who meet in pubs and meet on a night out or meet through friends but I think what's really unique for our age group is this whole concept of online dating and would there many of your friends, for example, use Tinder, use that online dating? Um, yeah, I would say a lot of them and both male and female. I say we kind of straight down the middle, 50-50. I know a lot of my friends would probably take or leave it. You know, it's it was way more popular even for myself when we were in college, I think. And it's always a, a thing so you know who's single, which is kind of a really funny way of looking at it. But you know someone is single if they're on Tinder. Um, but the opposite to it as well is a lot of people like that they match and they just never talk to anyone on it so there is just that whole nosiness of, of Tinder if people use it for Apart from the advantage of knowing whether somebody is single are there any other advantages of that? Probably just even knowing who's near you if you, you know some people who if they're not great socially going up and talking to someone like if they don't have the confidence or whatever it probably will um, and also can be catalysts like I have a couple of friends now who have matched on Tinder as such and it was a catalyst for them to actually meet up outside they've known each other but never realised that they liked each other in that way um, so it can be a catalyst that way but I don't I don't think there is much of a advantage to it I think it takes it's a big huge disadvantage event then you know there is a whole kind of hook up society with it where people would match on tinder and arrange to just hook up and that's it mm. you know so that's there's that kind of relationship there but there's no real i wouldn't know many people who've actually formed a relationship who didn't know each other from outside tinder i met only through tinder um the only relationships i would know of that may have been as i said tinder have been the catalyst they've known each other from outside have mutual friends may have met each other nights out but this was kind of the the link um, and as well, people like that from nights out um, may have met someone and then they came up on their Tinder profile afterwards. Mm. So I think that's the only way I see the advantage. I don't see it as um, 
definitely for meeting a complete stranger. Mm. No, I wouldn't see that as a, a relationship blooming from a stranger. And what about the once you do meet somebody, what are the kind of rules of dating after that? Or are there such a thing as rules of dating? Uh, rules as such, I don't know. It's a very... Um, personal thing as well I think some like there's so many people to take it completely different a lot of people will see each other for a while is the way we kind of put it will see each other but they wouldn't be boyfriend or girlfriend you know they'd be only kind of meeting up for here and there for dates or whatever and I think when you kind of do get if my age if we do call someone a boyfriend it would be very serious it wouldn't be just a, a casual thing mm-hmm. um I think the main problem now with people our age is it's very casual relationships people wouldn't be really into serious kind of knuckling down now because people want to travel people are career focused they're not focused on, on setting their relationships yet whereas years ago people would be married by my age you know and I'd be very very old not to be married um but like I think people who like myself included like you enjoy being single because you don't have that extra responsibility not responsibility but extra thing you have to do every day you know if you like you have to meet up with someone um it's enough trying to get into work and save money and you know have a car or whatever everyone's too career focused now maybe um and that's where the relationships are falling down but I think for both male and females I can't just say it's males but I think both males and females wouldn't be as um invested in the relationships and I definitely think my generation is that you know they want to get out there they want to have the experiences whether or not a relationship would hold that back is probably another question but um, definitely, I do think dating has been a fail- not a failure, but a, it's seen as a negative part of being young. It's not a priority. It's not a priority. No, no it's not a priority. Um, for young people, I say under twenty five, relationship is not a priority, and um, it would be seen as a negative, more negative uh, factor than a positive. Dinah Washington sang What a Difference a Day Makes in reference to how different life is with love a part of it. Six years then must make a huge difference when one compares Linda's experiences to that of 28-year-old Ashling Kelly. In my group of girlfriends, we're all actually in long-term relationships. You know, there's nobody single at the moment. It's a total different scene. But I've seen it and I don't know how they do it. Do you know what I mean? I would be lost. I really would. It's, it's, it's even so different even from my early 20s and that's only like eight years ago where you could actually go out and meet someone but now it's all online dating um, swiping right on Tinder I have to say I'm very happy that you know I am in a relationship yeah definitely and the origins of Ashling's relationship is pretty special for her age group myself and my partner Bernard um, have been together for 11 years yeah yeah 11 years so we actually first met when we were in Montessori school. Um, I think I was three and I think he was maybe four going on five. I'd say 10 years later when I was 13, um, I met him again for the first time. He was, um, he's so he'd be my best friend's cousin and he's, you know, he would have been friends with all my girlfriends. And then they put me in contact with him. And yeah, we were about 13 when we got together first. You know, just like young love, romance, whatever you could call it at that age. And then, um, of course, that didn't last very long. Maybe, you know, a week we probably said we were going out with each other. And then again, um, at 15, and I'd say maybe that lasted a couple of months. And then uh, when I was 17, then we got together. So 11 years now. Yeah. There are times of great change, you know, your yeah. teenage years, or your 20s, there are times of huge change. Huge change, yeah. And I suppose we both did the whole, 
you know, go to college as well and different counties and that. But um, I suppose it comes down to just like, it sounds a bit soppy now and cheesy, but I suppose we are best friends. That's what it comes down to. And having like um, just a really open, honest relationship with each other. And obviously I think people probably say I'm cracked, but I think, you know, the couple of fights, that's good to have. Because I think, you know, all this, like if you're happy the whole time, like for me that's not you know I, that wouldn't work for me because I've always probably have something to give out about as well but no I think yeah we're just very kind of open and honest with each other and have the odd fight here and there but I suppose yeah at the end of the day we are best friends and yeah he's a great sense of humour as well so what I am giving out he can always make me laugh <laughs> laughter fun gaiety are all positive associations that we have with love no matter what age we are Monica, who I met at Tenny Park Nursing Home, had a great time going to the dances, a place where many people of her era found their partners. We went to the hops, as they used to call it that time, you know, the dances and and the, the cinemas. And uh, I, loved, I loved the dancing and the hops and meeting people and that kind of stuff. They had all kinds of music, and the waltzing and the quick step and the, everything like that. That time you had boys at one side and you had the girls at the other and they came over and asked you to dance. And uh, you could you could be dancing with one fella like for the whole night and you could, and you'd be good another night you meet another fella. And you had a very... <laughs> and you could be dancing with a few different fellas. You it? could indeed, yeah, you yeah. could, yeah. I mean, you, you meet the good and the bad, you meet all kinds of people, you really would. And uh, some of them are so glamorous and so charming and so everything, and not so, you know. Yeah. But you have to be able to sum, sum up people like that. And would, you know? would it be a thing then that you'd know you'd meet him there the next night? Or would you arrange to meet? Yeah, well, I always say, you know, if you want to see you home or whatever, well, I have a friend with me now, do you mind if she comes with me? So that's the way. So he brings home. So anyway, that would be one night. I might meet him the next night, then meet him the next night, and maybe then it would fizzle out. Yeah. There was a good few in between. Do you know what I mean? It looked very interesting. <laughs> but there'd be no kind of like um, passing on your phone number, let's say, like the way they do now, and ringing no, and Well, there was one that they passed on the phone number, and it was interesting, like, for a while. But that, uh, I didn't want to be tight any particular person at that time. <laughs> I I like to read people and, you know, yeah, go, right. go. keep your options open. Yeah, keep my options open, just yeah. right, yeah. And what age would you have been around that time now? I would be in my 20s. 20. Well, the first time, I suppose, we were only about 18, 19 years of age, like, you know. But I liked all the challenges along. I did, yeah. So it's lovely to look back on them. What was your happiest period? The period in my life was when I was in Dublin. Yeah. I was skating around and doing all, doing all the queer things. <laughs> <laughs> that, living that, it up. Living it up was yeah. right, you know. Yeah. I, had, I had a very good time, to yeah. the truth, yeah. Then, of course, I was married. I met my husband then at a party. And I was in Dublin. He was in the country. We used to come up and down occasionally. There was nothing very hot about it, you know, for a while. Until another night... I met him at a dance in Templeogue in, Dub- in Dublin. Yeah. And I imagine, I couldn't remember. I said, so don't you remember? So I started off from there again. So that was to me. Did it start getting serious then? From well, it did when I came home. You see, I, I got pleurisy. Oh, yeah, when I was in Dublin and I had to come home. And it was then, it started like coming to visit me and that. So And uh, eventually, anyway, we got married. We were married for 50-something years. Very happy. 50-something years is a long time, 
and to keep a relationship going for so long requires an initial spark of attraction that can turn out to be really important in sustaining the partnership. So what attracted you to Andy in the first place? I think um, his his confidence. He he just, he was who he was. He didn't try to go one of the lads or anything. He kind of stood out. He was very kind of comfortable in his own skin. Yeah. And I, I noticed that from the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And what has sustained your romance then? You've been together eight years mm. now? Yeah, so I, I, I think that kind of has always stood through, like you could see it through all the stages with him. He's, he's very, you know, he's very... Um, he's very strong. He's a very strong person. He's he's got good kind of ethics. He started his own business there a couple of years ago, and you know he's a he knows where he's going. He does what he says on the tin. He is who he is. You know he's a very good man. Yeah. You know you admire him. Obviously. I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's mutual respect on both sides. I'm sure then. Yeah, there is, and there has to be, I suppose, because we do work together too. So we spend a lot of time together through you know the day on the phones. You know. And then in the evening with the kids. So we have to kind of get on, you know, and be friends as well. Yeah. So we do. I think I think it works well. According to psychotherapist Mark Redmond, a lot of the initial attraction between lovers is unconscious. Still, the conscious part, the part we are aware of, is important. Attraction is, is of course, very important at the start. It is a key part because then it allows a person to engage with that person and, and to get to know them. But at some point in a relationship, harsher realities have to be faced. People have to negotiate their differences and there needs to be a certain foundation of attraction and later love that will allow people to um, negotiate those challenges. Because um, relationships are very challenging in the modern world, just from a financial sense even. You know, to have a house, to provide for children and in a society where job security is not guaranteed or some people on precarious contracts, that brings a lot of pressure into the home and on, on relationships. So a lot of courage needed to really see a relationship through. Whereas now we're sort of in a consumerist society. Oh, I don't like this one. I just get the next one. Um, he, he or she didn't work out. Can that be positive in some way? Like Yeah, well, I, I suppose something that perhaps people are doing nowadays if something is not working and they have tried to make it work that they will say yeah okay I'm done here and, and that's an important thing to do as well to to honour oneself perhaps a person needs to move on because to stay is to be stagnant or to stagnate and that's not right either so sometimes courage is needed to say no listen I need to go here I've done my best and when the person has that sense they've done their best they can move on so yeah there is that positive sense to it We can only ever do our best. When we love, we care for the other. And sometimes this means caring during ill health. Victor, who I met in Tinney Park, was his wife's carer. I got married in 1963. And how did you meet her? Her aunt was uh, married in the next next door neighbour. And she used to be on her holidays there and we that's that's where we that's where we met first, yeah. We got on very well anyway. Did you? Yeah. She was living on the bank of the Noor and I was living on the bank of the Noor. And some of the children asked her, how did you meet Daddy? Oh, he was swept down the north, she said, and we pulled him out down in <laughs> My wife died 15 years ago, 2004. But she was complaining from 19 and 99. She was complaining. And they never diagnosed that she had cancer. She had cancer for two years before she was diagnosed. At least she was complaining for two years. It was too late then. 
ovarian cancer. Yeah. Mm. She lived with me for two and a half years, so I nursed her as best I could. Yeah. Went into that even the last six weeks. Wasn't able to look after her any longer. My two daughters are nurses, of course. So that helped a bit, yeah. You did well to care for her for so long. I did, I did, I suppose, yeah. yeah. To really love, be open and love somebody and experience that, that brings with it the reality that this one day will be gone. And that's actually a very um, painful prospect to have to let go of something that you like. It's not, any, it's not a thing we do easily. So dare I allow myself to love and have to one day face letting it go. So even if love has us sighing like a furnace, to quote the famous poet Alfred Lord Tennyson, "'Tis better to have loved and lost than never loved at all." In the following programme, we look at the next stage, Soldier. Then a soldier full of strange oaths and bearded like the pard, jealous in honour, sudden and quick in quarrel, seeking the bubble reputation even in the cannon's mouth. As We Like It was produced by Monica Hayes and made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee.